1: Hallelujah, (laughs) thank you guys, thank you guys, Pastor Cole made me promise I'd do that if I came, so we got it done, amen, (laughs) if you guys enjoyed that, I have CDs on the table, you can grab one on the way out, they're by donation, it all goes to the ministry, that means that you know, be generous, but if you don't have money, just take one, Amen? amen, amen, all right, I'd be happy to bless you with one, I'm excited, I'm excited for what God wants to do here today, are you guys excited? Yeah. Hey, what, a, what a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. You know, generally God sends me places, he sends me to churches to kind of shake them up, right, to stir up faith. I feel almost unnecessary here. <laughs> Jesus asked this question in Luke 18. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I'll tell you one thing, he'll find it at Central Assembly of God. <laughs> So it's exciting, man. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen. People get mad when you say that, when you say the presence of God is here. People get mad. They say, oh, the presence of God is everywhere. Yes, I understand that. Let me clear this up for you. When I say the presence of God is in this place, I'm, I'm not saying that he's not everywhere, but there's a difference between the omnipresence of God, that means he's all places at all times, and the manifest, tangible presence of God. Listen, there's a difference between the, the, the fact that God is all places at all times and the presence that made Moses' face shine when he came down from the That's mountain. Right. Right? There, there's a difference between God being omnipresent and, and, and the presence of God that fell on the day of Pentecost with tongues of fire and a rushing wind and they all spoke in tongues of the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a difference between the omnipresence and the dedication of the temple. Yes. Amen. When, the, when the glory cloud, the cloud of glory filled the temple so that the, that the priest could no longer stand to minister there's a difference and and the presence of the Lord is in this place Uh, I I I didn't need to preach today I could have just kept worshiping (laughs) listen when when you worship I want you to understand that when you worship there's an exchange that takes place worship is an exchange the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of Israel we are grafted in so he, he inhabits our praises right when you worship, your worship goes up and his presence comes down. It's a really good deal for us. <laughs> so that's what you experience If you're not used to, to, to that, that move of the spirit that we experienced this morning, that's what it was. As we worship, God visited us and he's still visiting us in this service. And, and I'm believing God for a powerful time. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray. I want to pray. I know we've had a lot of prayer, but I need Jesus. <laughs> my favorite meme I saw recently, it said, uh, it said, people ask, you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. Bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I, need the, I need the Holy Spirit to get out of bed and brush my teeth. I need the Holy Spirit to do anything. So I certainly need Him up fear. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God, for what you're doing already in this place. Father, I thank you for the souls that have already been saved. Father, I thank you that you've already healed people. That you've already touched people. And God, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Father, I just pray that you would continue that work. Pour out your spirit in this place. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to greet you from my family. This is my beautiful family. Aren't they precious? Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen them in a few days. I've been traveling different places and preaching. So if you see me run out after the service, you know why, because I get to go home to that. Amen. <laughs> this, is, this is my wife. My wife, Hillary, we fell in love doing street evangelism together. People used to make fun of us. They said, oh, you're going evangelizing, right? No, but we really were going evangelizing. And uh, I'm convinced that I married the most amazing woman on earth. I know Pastor Cole would disagree with me on that one. Hopefully some other guys in here would too. (laughs) But in my opinion, I married the greatest woman on earth. And this is our two kids. We have two children. This is uh, my daughter, Eliana. She's five now. The picture's a couple years old. She's five now. Um, and, And she is in love with Jesus. She's in love with Jesus. One day when she was two years old, about to turn three, she came to me. She said, Dada, you're not Jesus, right? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. But thank you for the compliment. My goal has been reached. You got confused about that. That's great. <laughs> and uh, she said, I said, no, I'm not. But but Jesus lives in me. Like, and, she, and she actually said, oh, like a house. I was like, exactly. I'm Jesus's house. She said, almost three, just just under three. She said. I want Jesus to live in me like a house and so she prayed that Jesus would come live in her like a house she walks around all the time she says she says that she's a Jesus girl and uh, and she is a Jesus girl and and my son Joseph is a a wild man he takes after me so pray for me (laughs) he takes a different approach he walks around saying I'm gonna kill the devil (laughs) he says I'm gonna kick the devil I was like, that's right, son, you're going to kick the devil, (laughs) that's exactly right, so I want to greet you from then, I've I've been been traveling, so they're not with me this morning, but hopefully next time I come, they'll be with me, amen, amen, Amen. so listen, I I got a lot to say, so I hope you guys have time, raise your hand if you have somewhere better to be than at church right now, (laughs) that was mean, I'm just kidding, that was mean, (laughs) So I want to share really quickly because I know not all of you, not all of you know who I am. Uh, so I want to share really quickly my testimony with you, and then and then we're going to get into some other stuff. So you guys want to hear my testimony? Yes. All right. My testimony is that I am 100% perfectly, completely, and unconditionally loved by the Father. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's it. I'm his son I'm a co-heir with Christ I've been given a spirit of adoption as a son by whom I cry Abba Father I've been made a part of a kingdom of priests and prophets I'm I'm a royal priesthood I'm part of the body of Christ I've been 100% accepted in the beloved 100% forgiven 100% justified I've been filled with with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead it's alive in me he's alive in me my testimony is that I am a 100% on fire, spirit-filled, surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I used to be a drug dealer, but that's not my testimony. <laughs> <Thank> you, <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you be getting your testimony wrong. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Nobody's overcoming anyone because they used to be an idiot. (laughs) The word of your testimony is the testimony of the gospel. It's the testimony of what Jesus says about who you are. (sighs) I was a drug addict. It's not my testimony. Multiple felonies on my record. I was a violent criminal. That's not my testimony. Listen, the reason I say that's not my testimony, I want you to understand that that guy, you know, people, oh, you were a gangster. (laughs) That guy, the gangster, the drug dealer, died 13 years ago. And he has nothing to do with the person that's standing in front of you today. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. creation. The old has gone and behold, the new has come. That is the power of the simplicity of the gospel. It's it's not it's not a twelve-step program. It's one step, get born again. <laughs> I met I met Jesus. I met Jesus in, in a prison chapel, my third time incarcerating. And, uh, and my cellmate had invited me to go to the chapel with him, so I went, and I was sitting there, and there was a worship band, and they were playing music, and, and, and no one talked to me, no one prayed for me, but I had an encounter with God, and uh, when I started to feel his presence, and I, and, and I felt his love physically, like, coursing through my body and his power, and, and so I dropped to my knees in a prison chapel, and when I was on my knees, I had a vision of Jesus. My eyes were closed, but I could see clearly, Jesus and I always believed in God, but I thought, I thought, I didn't know who he was, right? I believed there was something. It was easier for me to believe in a creator than it was to believe that once upon a time there was nothing and nothing exploded and now I'm here. <laughs> so I believe that something created me, right? But I believed he hated me. And, uh, and certainly didn't want anything to do with me, right? But when Jesus came to me, there was no anger. There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. There was only an invitation. I had my eyes closed. I saw Jesus. He stuck out his hand. He said three words to me. He said, are you ready? I said, yes. And I stood up 20 minutes later, born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost all at one time, praying in tongues when I stood up. And and I was a different person. Within a year, I went to Bible college. (laughs) <laughs> now, not only was I in Bible college, but I was president of my class in the Bible college a year after my last time in prison, <laughs> right? Like, that, that's only Jesus. Only Jesus can do that in a life. There is no other self-help book. There is no other program. There is no other faith or, or prophet that can do that in a life. It's only Jesus. <sighs> so I went to Bible college two and a half years later. I had a wonderful time in Bible college. Uh, just, just, I was so happy, but two and a half years in, the Lord told me, he said, I'm sending you out. In, in, in August, he spoke to me he's, and, and my fiance. She's my wife now, but at the time, my fiance. He spoke to both of us, and he said, I, this was in August. He said, I want, you to go, I want you to move to Germany as missionaries on January 15th, specific date. I want you to move to, to Germany as missionaries on January 15th. That was only a few months away. If you know anything about raising a budget as a missionary, it doesn't happen in a few months. <laughs> and so, and plus, I'd only been saved a couple years, I didn't know anyone, I knew like three pastors, right, like, it's like I had this network I could call, right, but, but we said, okay, God, if you say it, we're going, everyone thought we were nuts, like, everyone, there was literally prayer chain set up for us to come to our senses, I <laughs> like you guys can't do it this way, right, so the Lord told us January 15th, so we got married, we planned our, we planned our wedding, we said, first, we got to get married, we planned our wedding, we got married in two months, we had a couple months to, to try to call people whatever, but really all we did was pray and fast. And I want you to know that God came through. We lived in Germany for four and a half years by faith and never came close to running out of money. <sighs> he's a really good provider, guys. Like I've come to understand that if you want to be your own provider, he'll let you. <laughs> but if you'll trust him to be your provider, he's much better at it. Yeah. <laughs> so so we went and we, we lived there for four and a half years and then three years ago we came back to the States. The Lord called us to come back to the States uh, we planted a church in Germany, our first church, and then we came back to the States and took over the ministry I'm running now called Global Renewal. And this past three years has, 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 has been beyond my expectations, right? It has been amazing. So, so first, we planted one church in four and a half years in Germany. Then we came back in 2018 and we planted one church our first year back, um, in one year, uh, in, in the nation of Nepal, a closed country. Uh, we planted a church in the capital city of Kathmandu. And, uh, and, then, and then in 2019... The Lord allowed us to plant 12 churches in three different nations, all in majority Muslim and Hindu areas. Praise hmm. Jesus. <laughs> Guys, I, I've been saved for 13 years, and the Lord has allowed me to plant churches on four continents. <laughs> and then in 2020, yeah, 2020 threw us all a curveball, didn't it? <laughs> but but God is good, man. See, I don't know how to sit still. I'm not just gonna, I had eight international trips planned for 2020. I only got to go on one, okay? I had all my weekends booked, midweek stuff. My whole calendar was packed for the entire year. Everything fell through in March, right? But in the absence of all of that, God did amazing things locally. First of all, overseas, he did amazing things because I got to see that these networks that we've started in the last few years in places like Uganda and Nepal, that they actually continued. They continued to plant churches. They continued the work. In the midst of lockdowns, there was new churches planted without me even going there. (laughs) So I've continued to train them on Zoom and stay in touch with them. And and our network in in Uganda has planted three new churches in 2020. Praise the Lord. (laughs) one of them in Sireti just planted a few months ago. It's already up to 100 people. (laughs) We're buying them a piece of land this week so they can build a church. Amen. Amen. And, And in Nepal, our people there planted two new churches in 2020. So they've been continuing the work powerfully. And it's amazing to see. You know, one of the best things about being a leader is when you become less necessary. (laughs) <laughs> that that is the goal of every leader is to become less necessary right and so that's been amazing to see in 2020 and, and beyond that here in the states i've been at home usually i'm gone about 75 percent of the time from my home and and, and this past year i was home 80 percent of the time right and so i had a lot more time in the community and people began to come to christ in my community I led a few people to Christ in a, in a coffee shop, and, and then some other people came to Christ, and, some, and then you know, some of their family wanted to be a disciple, because when I lead someone to Christ, I see that as my spiritual child, right? Like, I disciple them. I'm not, I'm not passionate about decisions. I'm passionate about disciples, right? So I, I'll, I'll, I'll disciple people when I lead them to Christ. And, uh, and so people, kept, and, then, and then it became a weekly thing. I said, okay, I have too many people I'm discipling here locally, so we got to bring them together. And so very much by accident, a church started in my house, <laughs> and we have a weekly service that's about three hours long. And every single person there except for maybe one has, has been saved within the last year. And uh, and they're baptized. Everyone, every single one is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Just past Wednesday, the three newest people got baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. They're all baptized in water. They're leading their friends to Christ. They're preaching in their workplaces. And I, I'm just watching... I'm just watching these brand new believers, uh, you know, in my living room every week, weep on their face to YouTube worship videos. And it's just the most amazing thing to see. And now we have multiple house churches uh, that have started in the States. And, and so it's just amazing to see what God will do. It, you know, it, it, you, every, every one of us had a choice in 2020. Either we sit on our hands and get discouraged or, or we look for the opportunity to be the church. And, uh, and so that's what we decided to do. And it's been amazing. And So I'm excited now to get back to, back to traveling. I have some trips coming up. I'm excited to get back to it. And I want to thank this church as well because you guys have been faithful to continue and stand with us through this time. You know, so much of our income comes through me going out and preaching, right? And so I wasn't able to do that in 2020 very much. But in the absence of that, we, we lacked nothing because, because, because I am not our provider. God is our provider, and, and our partners in churches like this one stepped up and stood by us in, a, in an amazing way. And uh, so I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you for giving to missions um, because the, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves. There's only seven things in the Bible it says that God loves, right? And one of those things is a cheerful giver. You know the thing that makes me cheerful about giving to missions? I've come to understand that every dollar that I sow into the kingdom of God is a little foot soldier that I, I, I'm sending out into the world to kick the devil in the teeth. <laughs> Every single dollar is a little soldier that I'm sending out to kick the devil in the teeth. That makes me really cheerful. Praise God. <laughs> so I want to encourage you guys. I, I know that there's going to be a, a faith promise time coming soon in this church to give to missions. I want to encourage you guys ask the Lord, say, say, God, what is the maximum number of foot soldiers that I could send out into the world this year to kick the devil in the teeth? Amen. And, and believe God that he's going to use that to bring the kingdom forward in a powerful way. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I want to share uh, just a couple quick testimonies. Um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to show you a video, but I want to share a couple quick testimonies from the churches we planted in 2019. Uh, the, the first church we planted in 2019 was in a, in a, in a village in the coastal region of Kenya called Kakunjuni. It's a Muslim village in the coastal region, totally Muslim. And, and we went in and we had open air services and, and, and we began to pray for people. When they come to the altar, we began to pray for people. And, and people in this, in this village began manifesting demons at an unusual rate. Like I see that when I go out and go overseas, especially also in America, but especially overseas, I see that pretty frequently. But it was at an unusual rate, right? And so I inquired of the people in the town and I found out that there was a powerful witch doctor that lived in that town and every one of these people had been to see him. Church, don't mess with stuff you don't understand. <laughs> we, think it's, we think things are innocent. Oh, it's just culture. Oh, it's just Eastern culture. Oh, this is just Eastern meditation. It's not, it's not harmful, whatever. Don't mess with things you don't understand. There are spiritual forces. You have to understand that we are in a war. And there are spiritual forces behind these things. So these people were manifesting. And so, so finally, the third day, I, I made the altar call again, and a, and a young lady began to manifest when I prayed for her. And, and, and I don't want to make it a show, right? Because these people still have to live here. And so, so I said, carry her around to the back of the stage. And I told the musicians to keep playing. And I went around to the back of the stage, and I began to pray. I began to, I began to uh, cast the demon out of her. But what happened was, all like about 30 Muslims who were in the front, came around to watch what was happening, right? And so when these Muslims saw that the name of Jesus has authority over the devil, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, they, I don't think they'd, ever, they'd ever seen a demon cast out by the name of Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> but when they saw the name of Jesus had authority, over the devil every single one of them came to jesus in that moment and that was the beginning of the church in kakonjuni <laughs> hallelujah. hallelujah and then and then we planted another church in a muslim village in northwestern uganda in 2019 and this village is 90 percent muslim it's called yumbe and uh, yumbe uganda is is a. Uh, It's a historically violent place towards Christians, right? This tribe is the only unreached people group in Uganda. They're called the Oringa tribe. If you know African history, uh, you, you might know who Idi Amin was. Um, he was called the Butcher of Africa. Uh, he was a, a Ugandan dictator in the 70s and extremely, extremely brutal, right? This was his tribe that he elevated above the rest of the tribes in Uganda. And so they did his dirty work. So there's been a long history of, of, of bloodshed and, and, uh, and, and, and bad feelings towards this tribe and from this tribe, right? So no one has really been trying to reach them. In fact, the last, the last uh, American missionaries that I know of that moved to Yumbe. Uh, was in 2004, I believe, 2004 or 5, uh, they were martyred for their faith in Yumbe So no one's trying to reach this, 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 uh, this, this city. And so something in me just said, you have to go. Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit in me said, not something, let me clarify. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, you have to go. And so I said, okay, we're going. And so I, I talked to the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Uganda. He's a dear friend of mine. And he tried to talk me out of it he said, we've tried, we got chased off by the Muslims, better try somewhere else, right? So, so finally, when I convinced him, he said, okay, listen, we can go in during the daytime, I'll go with you. Uh, so he came with me, and we said, we'll go in during the daytime for a couple days and see what happens, so you can see, right? So we, we got a truck full of Bibles and their languages, and we drove into, into Yumbé. and within the first 10 minutes, the Lord opened a door for me to stand in front of the central mosque of this Muslim city, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus to a group of Muslims. And within within 20 minutes of being there, the first two Muslims came to Christ. So, so when, the, when the superintendent saw that that happened, he said, okay, go ahead, you have my blessing. He said, in fact, you just keep going to the places that I don't want to go to. So that'll be great. You just go to those places and that would be wonderful. So, so we, I took a team this past July. We went back to Yumbé. I took a team of 20 people to this, to this city. And, uh, and we went in there, and, and we and we had open air services in Yumbay, and we preached the gospel, and uh, and God poured out in an amazing way. You know, I'm I'm used to getting words of knowledge and seeing healing and things like that, but it was it was elevated. To a high extent, it was just constant. It was amazing to see what God was doing. We saw amazing healings, and uh, and just miracles. And we saw about fifty to hundred Muslims come to Christ uh, on that trip, um, and it was just it was just an amazing, amazing time. You know, success is is different everywhere you go, right? Some places I go, if I have a crusade and there's less than eight thousand people there, I'm like, okay, I don't, you know what I mean. But in Yumbe, we had three hundred Muslims come. That was the biggest Christian gathering in Yumbe history. I'm 99% sure of that. That was the biggest Christian gathering in Yumbe history. We were the first Christian organization to be able to buy land there for a church. Another miracle. So we bought land, we built a church, and we went and launched it. And the church is still going. In fact, if you go to the next slide, in fact, if you go to the next slide, <laughs> This is the church when it was almost completed. It's completed now. And if you go to the next slide. This is the the core team of the church. But what I want you to know about this picture is that half of these people were Muslims when I met them. <laughs> and now they're the core team of the church. So I want to share one more my favorite testimony from that trip and then I'm gonna show you a video that we actually took on that trip. There's a there's a young man sitting up front right here who was with me on that trip. Scott, say hi. You got to stand up and wave. <laughs> Uh, he, was, he was with me on that trip, and so he got to see the amazing things that God did. And, uh, but there was, there was one testimony that really stands out as my favorite testimony, and it was when we were on the bus driving back to the hotel from our first day of outreach. And on the bus, I looked out the window and I saw, I saw a tent on the side of the road. And, and so I told the bus driver, I said, Stop, I want to go. There was a bunch of guys sitting under this tent. I said, Stop, I want to go preach to these guys, I want to give them Bibles. So my my main overseer of of our churches in Uganda, he said to the bus driver, he said, no, 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 we can't stop here. Keep going. I looked at him. I looked at the bus driver. And I said, he's not paying you. (laughs) And he's certainly not going to tip you at the end of this. You don't work for him. If I say stop the bus, stop the bus, right? So, so very quickly he pulled over <laughs> and I got out of the bus with two friends and we walked up to this tent, right? We have Bibles in our hands walking up to this tent to go preach to these guys. And, uh, and little did I know this is like a Muslim like prayer tent, they got, the, they got their mats all laid out in front of them in the tent, and, and they're there fellowshipping. And, and, uh, and so we, I walked up to them, and one of the guys began to yell at us. He said, we don't like Christians. We don't want your Bibles. We don't want you here. Get out of here. This is a Muslim place. And he's getting aggressive, and he's yelling at us to leave. So the two people who had gotten out of the bus with me ran back to the bus. And they were laughing later because they turned around when they got to the bus and I was under the tent, (laughs) right? So quickly they came back to back me up. And and so, listen, if it was just that one guy, I would have left him alone, right? Because, you know, he's yelling at me to leave him alone. But there was a lot of guys under that tent who needed Jesus. And I'm not going to let one loudmouth stand in the way from getting to the rest of them. We have to stop being so afraid, church we have to stop bowing to fear. So I went and I began to preach to these guys and this guy was yelling and being obnoxious the whole time, so, so finally it became to where I was just in his face preaching to him, right? And it, it was just me and him and everyone else was listening, right? And, but he began to open up, his heart started to soften and he said, is this true, is this true? Right when he started to open up, their imam shows up. You're gonna see it in the video, I want you to look for a guy in a blue dress and a yellow hat, right? This is their imam. So he shows up. Now, this could have gone one of two ways. Thankfully, he was a peaceful imam because it could have looked differently, right? And so he shows up, and and now I'm preaching to probably 50 of his people, his congregants, right? They're listening to what I'm saying. I'm preaching to them. And so he shows up, and he wants to debate me because in his mind, I'm leading his people astray. So he starts to debate me. And it got to the point where they wouldn't let me talk anymore. Once he showed up, that gave them, you know, more courage. So they started yelling, and they were being disruptive, and he was being disruptive. So finally, I said to him, I said, Imam, I said, this is pointless. I want you to give me five minutes. Give me five uninterrupted minutes. Control yourself and control your people, and let me talk for five minutes. After that, I'm going to leave, and you have two and a half hours to convince him that I'm wrong give me five minutes. He said, okay. So for five minutes, I preached my heart out under this Muslim prayer tent. I, I told them, I said, listen, the only disagreement that we've had so far today is, that, is who is Jesus. That's the only thing we've disagreed on so far today. So what I want to do is I want to tell you who Jesus said that Jesus is. So I said, I'm going to do nothing. I said, I'm going to give you scripture. I'm not going to give you any of my opinions. I'm not going to give you anything else. I'm only going to give you scripture for the next five minutes. And after that, the imam will come, and he'll try to twist that scripture to make it mean what he he wants it to mean. I'm just going to tell you what it means, and you make up your own minds, or what it says, and you make up your own minds. So for five minutes, I I preached my heart out. I went through everything that I could think of to illustrate that Jesus Christ is not just a prophet, right? But he's the son of God who came to take away the sins of mankind. And there is salvation in no other name because there's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. I went through all the seven I am statements in the book of John. I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I went through every statement that Jesus makes about himself in the book of Revelation, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And for five minutes, I gave him scripture after scripture after scripture. After I was done, I said, okay, Imam, you can go ahead and answer. He had nothing to say. I said, Imam, can I pray for you? He he, he said, yes, he agreed. So under that Muslim prayer tent, I took this imam's hand and I prayed for him in the name of Jesus. And after I said amen, he said, we need Bibles. Can you bring us Bibles? (laughs) Then the very next day, we brought him 40 Bibles. He said, no, this is not enough Bibles. I have more people who need Bibles. The next day we drove by. Is this this all true? Am I telling the truth? (laughs) The next day we drove by again. And they were all sitting outside the tent reading the Bibles that we had given the day before. Amen? We have to stop being so afraid. Imagine what God would do, do through you in your workplace, in your schools, if you would refuse to bow to fear. I wanna show you guys a video and then we're gonna get into the word, amen? So go ahead and watch this video. This'll show you that trip. It's gonna show you that interaction and then, and then, and then Pastor Cole's gonna come up after the video and then we'll get into the word.
2: Church planting always comes with a unique set of challenges. Every church planter struggles with finances, volunteer bases, meeting location, and vision for God's calling. There are some church plants, however, that have deeper struggles still. Church plants that face physical opposition from the people who are there. Church plants that are unable to buy land because they bear the name Christian. church plants that face spiritual opposition, lack of resources, lack of Christians, and volunteers, and even pastors. Now imagine an organization that intentionally seeks out these kinds of situations. An organization that is so dedicated to the Great Commission that it willingly goes headfirst into the parts of the world that many are too scared to go to. Global Renewal is that organization. We dive into the communities that push back. We go to the countries that do not want us there. These are the places that seem to call our name. These are the people that we so desperately want to know the name of Jesus. And you are the partners who will help us get there.
0: Amen. I always like the to to know that you have an opportunity to so seed in good soil. You've heard the testimony already today. We've been supporting Jesse, I think for about three years or whatever it's been, we've been supporting him uh, since we've had the opportunity to get to know him. Uh, actually, his grandfather came here years ago and we made the connection. Um, and So just, just a wonderful relationship. I want you to be able to have an opportunity to sow some seed into this soil. Um, My missions committee, do I, I, uh, I'm not seeing who I need to see right now. Uh, Y'all were going to pass out uh, the the faith promise cards. And so I'm going to let them do that. I want you guys to be ready for that. Uh, Maybe uh, Cynthia can give Brenda a hand. Uh, Cynthia, would you do that? I want you all to receive these Faith Promise Cards. This is how we are able to continue to support missionaries. Um, And like uh, Brother Jesse here. And so uh, this offering you're going to give today, you can do it electronically, by the way. If you do the same thing that you typically do to give electronically, you actually will find his name or Global Renewal listed. Uh, Ronnie, is it Global Renewal or just Jesse? Jesse. His name, Jesse Comrie. So uh, his name will be on there. If you go to the missions block on our electronic giving site, uh, you can do that that way. But come on, gentlemen, I want you to come forward. Um, Pastor Amy and I have um, chosen to give to this ministry, and I want you all to be a part of that as well. We like to support places that we know are doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never received one of our faith promises, Uh, these you keep and you're going to pray and as Jesse said a moment ago you're going to believe God for what is your best possible gift you can give to the kingdom and the work of the kingdom in missions Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a part you can tear off and pass you're going to give that to us and then you're going to keep another part for yourself as a reminder for uh, you to pray and believe God in your giving as you do this. Father we thank you for the joy of giving into your kingdom, into your work we pray, Father, that you use, continue to do, use uh, Brother Jesse and Global Renewal in the ministry, reaching around the world. Thank you so much, God, that we get to, I get the privilege of participating in this ministry and this work. It's a joy for me to be able to give, for Amy and I to give to this work in this ministry. We want this work furthered. We want it to be blessed. And God, we're going to enjoy being able to participate in this. And we know that when we plant this seed into this good soil, it's going to bear great fruit, Lord. And I know, Lord Jesus, you're going to bless this. And everyone who gives today, I know you're going to bless them in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, Brother Jesse. You share the word today. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Jesus, I want I want to share uh, just very quickly one more testimony is going to tie into the to what I want to preach to you this morning. Uh, but it is a testimony from the nation of Nepal. And uh, it was also from 2019. It was probably our biggest, our biggest project in 2019, and we had planned it for months. I'd trained 10 church planters in the capital city of Kathmandu and we'd planned a crusade with, with 40 pastors and so the plan was is that we were going to go and do a, a, an open air massive crusade in the city of Kathmandu um, and and out of that crusade launch 10 churches and we had the whole strategy, right? We're giving, we're giving each of our church planters buses to, to bus people from their neighborhoods to the crusade so that they could see the power of God and, and hear the gospel and get saved and on the way back in the buses they would get their information and, and that would be the launch of their church, so we'd plan this thing out and, 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 and just had a wonderful plan. It was going to be the first crusade, um, it, it, I, I believe, at least from what I've heard, the first crusade in Kathmandu in 10 years, because A, it's illegal, <laughs> and B, there's radical Hindus who will oppose you if you try to do something like this, but we said we're going to do it anyway, so, so we get, I, I brought a team, and we get to Nepal. And I'm telling you, from the moment that we stepped off that plane, there was opposition to what we were doing there. I've never experienced so much opposition in my entire life. And listen, we, it, the, the, the warfare was so strong that we were in prayer for eight hours straight every single day. Eight hours straight every single day we were in prayer. Because that's the level of warfare we were in. You, it, church, if you're in warfare, you, you need to be on your knees, Right? So we were in that level of warfare. So we were in prayer eight hours a day every day. When we got off the plane, there was already protests, protesting that we were coming on the grounds of the crusade. Radical Hindus who would come and and they were threatening violence and they were protesting. And they were literally, uh, they went into government offices on Facebook Live and they were threatening that there was going to be bloodshed in government offices. It got to the point, and meanwhile, the, the, the devil's attacking the team with sickness and, and just all sorts of demonic attacks, and, and, uh, and so it was just, it was a crazy uh, uh, opposition, right? And, and actually, what happened was 30 out of the 40 pastors that we planned this crusade with backed out. They said, it's too dangerous. We're not doing it. They said, you, you have to shut down. You can't do it. And I told them, I said, what, what, what precedent does that set for the church here in Nepal, when the crazy big American guy who talks real big won't even preach here. I said, I would do more damage to the church in this country than whatever the the radical Hindus will do. We're preaching, we're moving forward. And so then the government because they were going into government offices and all this stuff. and So then the government, the day before the crusade, the government stepped in. Now we only have 10, 10 of the pastors. The other 30 backed out. And then the government stepped in, and they, said, and they said, no, you guys are shut down. And basically, they had turned a blind eye to us at the, up until this point, right? But when they, when they step in, you, you have to adjust, because as soon as I stand on that stage, they throw me in prison, right? So the day before, we said, okay, we're not canceling. We'll change locations. <laughs> so the day before the crusade... We had to change locations, and we told all the believers, we said, hey, listen, tell all your unsaved friends, tell all your unsaved family, invite as many people as you can, this is the new location of the crusade. 4.30 in the morning, that morning, the day of the crusade, there was radical Hindus that showed up to the new grounds of the crusade and began threatening the owner of those grounds. (laughs) It it was just crazy, but we said, no, we're going to have the crusade, we're pressing forward. So for three days, we showed up that day and we preached, for three days, we had a crusade on those grounds, and there was not one problem from the Hindus. Church, the, dev, the Bible says that the devil prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not a lion. He just prowls like one. And the only way that he can devour you is if you bow to his prowling. So we went forward. We had the crusade. Three days, not one problem. We had 600 Hindus come to Christ in that three-day crusade. The, The third day of that crusade was the most powerful service I've ever been in in my life by far. I'm telling you, when we gave the altar call after the preaching, we gave the altar call, and there was literally a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I'm telling you, I thought thought that an airplane buzzed the ceiling of the building that we were in. Because we had a a big building that sat up uh, 1,500 people and then a big overflow outside. I thought an airplane, there was no airplane. When when we heard that sound like a mighty rushing wind, miracles started breaking out across the entire place where we were. (laughs) Healing started breaking out. I've seen a lot of healings, but never like I saw this day. Everybody was healed. The mute, the mute spoke, the deaf heard. There was a guy they brought in an ambulance, they carried him up on a stretcher, and he walked out. Hallelujah. I cast out dozens of demons in, in this meeting. Church, what would have happened had I given in to fear? What would have happened had I listened to those 30 pastors who told me to cancel? They, by the way, they came back after and they apologized. They said, we were wrong. They said, can we join you again next year for the crusade? I said, you're going to sit out a year and you can join me in two years. I said, but you can't, you can't leave me on the battlefield this year and join me next year. So you're going to sit out a year. What would have happened had I given into fear? there would be 600 people who were still going to hell. 600 souls that were still going to hell. We we launched all 10 of those churches out of that crusade, and all 10 of those churches are still functioning, still operation. They made it through COVID, and two of them have multiplied. Church, we have to stop giving in to fear. Fear is the number one destroyer of the kingdom work around the world. I see it everywhere I go. People bow to the spirit of fear. It's the number one destroyer, whether it's in America or whether it's in a closed country. And people in America, they tend to feel ashamed because because why should we feel afraid? We, we We don't have anything rationally to fear like some of these other countries that I go to, right? But it doesn't matter because fear is not logical. The Bible says that you did not inherit a spirit of fear but of boldness and of love and of a sound mind. What that means is that fear is a spirit. The same spirit that tries to attack me so that I don't press forward with a crusade in Nepal is the same spirit that tries to come against me when I want to reach out to someone at the Walmart. It doesn't matter because it's not logical. It's a spiritual attack that is designed to get you to shut your mouth. Church, (laughs) the the, the devil I want you to understand something about the devil he's an imitator that's been his emotion since the beginning it's all he does he lies he imitates He, he imitated God and got a third of the angels to follow him he imitated a snake in the garden and tricked Eve he prowls around like a lion right the lion's with us but he prowls like one he masquerades as an angel of light. Church the spirit of fear imitates wisdom. Uh-oh. <sighs> I'm going to get myself in trouble this morning. <laughs> I'm saying, hey, listen, I didn't come here to step on your toes, but if I do, it's probably because you were standing still when you should have been moving. Yeah. <laughs> the spirit of fear masquerades as wisdom. It's not... It, it, the pastors were giving me their wisdom to not have the crusade. <laughs> there are a lot of decisions that we make in the name of wisdom that are not godly decisions i want you to understand that the wisdom of god is wiser or or the foolish things of god is wiser than the wisdom of 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 men the wisdom of god is 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 fundamentally different from the wisdom of this world church The the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says, Do not neglect gathering together. As some are prone to do, and especially when you see the day approaching. Church, I hear people all the time saying I see the end coming, I see the day approaching everything's lining up and what's the first thing that many of us do? We stop gathering. It's in the instruction manual. Do do not neglect gathering together church but we neglect it and we say oh no it's just wisdom. Mm. I wasn't planning on saying any of this. (laughs) But church, if, if, if fear, even if, if, even if it's fear disguised as wisdom, if fear is involved in your decision-making process, then you are not making a godly decision. <laughs> I'll say it for you. If fear is involved in your decision-making process, then you are not making a godly decision. The the, the Bible pits fear and love against each other. Mm. In the the eyes of God, they're opposites. It it says there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Anyone who fears has not been perfected in love. It says you did not inherit a spirit of fear but of boldness and of love and of a sound mind. You cannot. there are two great motivators on earth fear and love and you cannot be motivated by both at the same time you will be motivated by one or the other and church I want you to understand that it is never the will of God for you to feel fear <laughs> it is never God's will for you to be afraid <laughs> you know how I know Because it's by far the most repeated command in scripture. By far. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Over and over again, the scripture commands us to not be afraid. In fact, I heard one scholar, he counted them all. He counted all yeah, and he, all, all of the derivatives. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Be bold. Be courageous. If you, if you count them all and add them together, the Bible commands us not to fear 365 times. There's not even a close second. That's one. For, who said that? that's one for every day of the year? So if you want want to feel afraid on February 29th every four years, that's, that's your own business. I'm just kidding. That's not okay either. But there's a verse for every other day of the year. Church, what that tells me, that God commanded it over and over, it tells me two things. The first thing it tells me is it tells me that It's supremely important in the heart of God that we overcome this thing. The second thing it tells me is that God knew it would be one of our biggest challenges. I'm not here to condemn anyone. If you've been dealing with fear and anxiety in your life, this is something that we, every single person here, if we're honest, either has fought through this struggle already and come out victorious or is in the middle of it right now. I've spent 13 years crushing fear. I've spent 13 years refusing to bow it. <laughs> to get to the place where I am today. Church, it is never God's will for you to feel afraid. In fact, you're called to peace. You are called to have peace in every situation. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You are called to peace. To have peace ruling in your hearts is literally a calling from God. That means that if, you're, if you are living in fear and anxiety, not only are you not taking advantage of everything that Jesus won for you on the cross, but there's literally an unfulfilled calling on your life. Because you're called to peace. Go with me to John 14. I want to talk to you about the peace that we're called to. For just a few more moments. I'm going to be brief. (laughs) Lord, help me. I'm not good at being brief. (laughs) John 14 verse 27. The Bible says, and understand the context. Jesus is getting ready to leave the disciples, and he's starting to to let them know that, right? So this is the context. That would be something that that would naturally give them anxiety, right? And so he's getting ready to leave them, and he tells them in John 14, verses 27. Verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I want to give you three statements that Jesus makes in this one verse that are absolutely powerful. The first statement that Jesus makes in this verse, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. That tells me two things about the peace that Jesus is referring to, the peace that he calls us to have as his followers. The first thing that it tells me is that it is a tangible presence of peace. Jesus is talking about a tangible presence of peace that we are meant to carry in this world. Because it had to make sense to his followers when he said, I'm leaving that peace. You know that peace that I have, that when I walk in a room, the atmosphere changes. You know that peace that I carry. I'm leaving it with you. The second thing it tells me is that not only is the peace that Jesus intends for us to have tangible, but it's also transferable. <laughs> it's givable. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It can be given. Church, we are called to have a peace that is tangible, that changes the atmosphere around us, that we can literally give to people who are in chaotic situations. Paul says we comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. We are called to be a people with such a tangible, a, 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 a tangible presence of peace that we can literally overcome the chaos of people's lives by, by speaking a word to them, by praying with them, that the atmosphere changes when we show up. Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, and he tells them, whatever town you enter, enter into a home and stay there until you depart. He says, if that house is worthy, what does he say? Let your peace come upon it. And if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. We can leave our peace in a house. Go with me to Mark. Mark chapter 4. I love this story. In this story, understand what's happening. The disciples are out at sea on a boat, and Jesus is sleeping underneath uh, the, the, the deck. And a storm picks up, and the waves are crashing over the boat. And the storm is so bad that the boat is literally sinking. That they're, they're perishing. The boat is sinking. So the disciples do what, you know, most of us would probably do. They get rebuked for it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'd probably do the same thing, most of us, right? Jesus is sleeping underneath in the boat. The boat's sinking. They go and wake him up, right? So, but the first thing that that tells me is that in the reality that Jesus lived in, there was no storm. Or at least in his reality, the storm was not a reason for anxiety. He was asleep. He was at peace. But the disciples, they go and wake him up, and this is what happened. In verse 39 of chapter 4, it says, he awoke and rebuked the wind. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Oftentimes our fear is a lack of faith. <laughs> why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But what I want you to understand about this passage is so powerful to me. that when I saw this, I got very excited. Jesus does two things in this passage, right? The first thing that Jesus does is he takes authority over the source of the chaos. He takes authority over the storm. Church, if you don't already know this, I believe this church probably hears this preach, not all do, but if you don't already know this, you have authority over the storm. You have authority over sickness. You have authority over the devil. You have authority to speak to every obstacle and every mountain that has the audacity to stand in your way as a child of God and tell it to be picked up and thrown into the ocean. And because of the delegated authority that you have from Jesus Christ as his ambassador on this earth, it has to listen. It has to listen. The storm has to stop. The mountain has to move. You have authority. The first thing he does is he takes authority over the storm. Some of us understand that already. We understand that we have authority over the storm. But then he takes it a step further and he speaks to the sea. He rebukes the source of the chaos and then he ministers to that which was affected by the chaos. The sea was not the problem. The disciples were worried about the sea. The waves were coming over the boat. Jesus saw clearly the sea was not the problem. It had been affected by an outside source. So he rebukes the source of the chaos, and he speaks peace into that which was affected by it. He, He literally says, peace, be still. He literally sends peace out from himself. And the Bible says there was a great calm. Church, this is important to understand because sometimes we want to rebuke the wrong thing. We want to rebuke a person. Or or a lot of times we really want to rebuke a political party. (laughs) Or many things, right? What we have authority to do is rebuke the demonic spirits that are influencing people. We take authority over the source of the chaos and we minister peace to those who are affected by it. And the peace that you carry can literally calm the chaos in someone's life. This is the peace that we're carrying. This is very, I don't know if this is exciting to you guys as it is to me, (laughs) but this is exciting to me. This is what Jesus is calling us to, church. The second thing that Jesus says, He says, not as the world gives do I give you. (laughs) What that tells me is that we need a new definition of peace. See, if you look up peace in the dictionary, it's going to say it's the absence of something. It's the absence of problems. It's the absence of war. It's the absence of noise. It's situational. What the world understands to be peace is situational. With God, peace is not the absence of a problem. It's the presence of a person. The peace that we are called to have, uh, church, the Bible says he himself is our peace. We are called to have the peace of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ through his spirit in our lives. The the Bible says in Psalms, it it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. It is the revelation of his presence that gives you peace in the valley of the shadow of death. Who should I fear? (laughs) Who should I fear? If my God is for me, who can be against me? He has promised to be with me even to the ends of the age. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Whom should I be afraid of? You can have peace in a foxhole. Yeah. You can have peace in the valley of the shadow of death because your peace is not dependent on a situation, it's dependent on his presence. Yeah. Yeah. The, third, the third statement that Jesus makes if the, if the, if the uh, keyboard, someone come play the keyboard, the band could come. I'm gonna close in just a couple minutes. The third statement that Jesus makes in this passage. So up until now, he said, I'm giving you my peace. It's a tangible, transferable presence of peace in the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not situational. It's not what the world calls peace. I'm giving that to you. But then he says this. He says, now, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So in other words, he's saying, I'm doing my part. I'm giving you peace. But you have a responsibility. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Church, we have a responsibility. God has given us this peace, but we have to keep our hearts there. Because the heart has a propensity to run back into fear. Because the heart's goal is to protect itself. there's a saying that I really don't like people say it all the time they they say follow your heart I I don't like that saying I'm sorry if you have it tattooed on you I'll pay to get it covered up we don't follow our heart the Bible doesn't tell us to follow our hearts it tells us to guard our hearts to protect our hearts to lead our hearts to not allow them to go where they want to go, but to tell them where they are to go. <laughs> Church, guard your hearts against fear. There, there are a lot of storms that are blowing in this world right now. And if you aren't firmly planted in the reality that God is with you, it's easy to fall into anxiety and fear. There's the storm of, of, of the political uh, situation of our country. Some, some of us need to stop watching the news so much. I, I, I'm not sanctified enough to watch the news. <laughs> I, I watch too much of the news, I start to get angry. You got to know where you're at. There's the storm of, 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 of a pandemic and the storm of just all sorts of stuff. And if you are not firmly planted in the love of God, and the reality that he's with you, it is easy to fall into anxiety and fear. But it is never God's will for you to do that. Keep your hearts in his peace. There are three things very quickly as I get ready to close in prayer. Three things that will, that will destroy the peace that God intended you to have. The first one is, is sin. The Bible says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The Bible says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The passions of the flesh, what is it? That? That's willful sin. Abstain from that, why? Because it wages war against your soul. You can have peace when the war's outside of you. But you can't have peace when it's on the inside. You are the war. You're at war with yourself abstain from sin the second thing prayerlessness neglecting the prayer closet will will be a very quick way to lose your peace it is impossible to leave the place of prayer anxious It's not impossible to pray an anxious prayer and leave anxious. (laughs) But the true place of prayer. The Bible says, do not be anxious for anything. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, what does that mean? With faith that it's done. As you pray, you're already thinking that it's done. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the third way to lose your peace is to not control your thought life. Do you guys stand to your feet with me? Paul says, I take every thought captive And make it obedient to Christ every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God is a stronghold he says I take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ church when you have a thought that is fearful that is anxious it's your responsibility to take that thought captive and force it to be obedient to what, what, what the Bible says, to what God says in his word. Because when that thought that raises itself against the knowledge of God comes into your mind, there will be a captive taken. Either you will take it captive and make it obedient to Christ, or it will take you captive and make you obedient to it, and that's what a stronghold is. Church, as we get ready to close, if you're here this morning and you've been, and you've been dealing with fear and you've been struggling with anxiety and it's been a tough year with everything going on, I don't want you, I don't want you to leave here before, before we're able to pray over you. because I'm believing God that that thing is going to break. The spirit of fear has to leave. The spirit of fear has to leave. Anxiety has to break. And, we're, and I want to pray for an impartation of the peace of God because the, the, the Bible is teaching us in this passage as I talked about that this, this peace is not only tangible but it's givable. and so I want to believe God with you this morning for an impartation of his peace would we be able to close with a worship song Close with can we do that, Pastor? We're gonna close with a worship song, but as this song is playing, I want you to be I want you to be brave, I want you to come out of your seat, I want you to come to the front here, and I want to pray with you for an impartation of the peace of God. If you have fear and if you have anxiety, right even right now, you can come, start to come, and we're gonna believe God for an impartation of peace. Anytime as this song is playing, listen. If there's a thought that comes into your head and say, Oh no, I shouldn't go. I don't want people to know. I'll just stay in my seat. That's what I'm talking about. Take it captive. And make it obedient to Christ.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website www.centralfamily.net or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift?